Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, God says to us, and there is nothing you can do about it. Let's pray our opening prayer together this morning. God of power and might, turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, for only in loving can we lead lives worthy of your calling. Grant us the courage to live with the saints in the glory of your love, and fill us with your grace and peace that we may know the richness of eternal life in your spirit through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our song of preparation this morning is found on page 454, Open My Eyes That I May See. Let us pray together our prayer of yearning and words of assurance. Judge us in your righteousness, Holy One, and show us who we truly are, for we long to see ourselves as you see us. Against the plumb line of your justice, our ways seem out of balance and our practices seem wanting. We yearn for the day when the powerful will no longer deny justice to the weak and destitute or turn a blind eye to the wicked. 
We long for the time when those who live at ease will no longer ignore the plight of the poor or turn away from those living paycheck to paycheck. Show us what it means to be a good neighbor, that our works may bear fruit and that our lives may shine the light of your justice. Amen. Eternal life is ours when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and when we love our neighbor as ourselves. Glory to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's time for our prayers this morning. Are there concerns that uh, we need to add to our list today? Any that we can take off? Jerry Haywood's brother passed away Friday, I believe. Uh, his memorial service will be next Sunday at Wayville Methodist Church. So uh, keep Jerry and or Don and that family in your prayers. Are there others this morning? Yes, thank you, Brenda. Darla and Dodie and Laura and uh, Erica. The mind doesn't pull up names anymore. And Darla, when are you all leaving? Wednesday. This coming Wednesday, and you will be back. Come back the 23rd. So I know Darla and Dodie are thrilled about this, and I'm sure the girls are as well. So. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Go ahead, and, go ahead and talk while you can. Nobody will hear you when, when you get home and there's no food on the table for you. <laughs> so forth. If there are no other prayers this morning, then let us go to God in prayer. <coughs> Gracious God, we come to you this morning with hearts that are filled with thanksgiving for the goodness that you have shown to us this day and in our entire life. Lord, we know that we are here this morning because of your goodness, because the love that you have for each one of us, not only the people gathered here this morning, but every person in the world today, Lord, we're thankful that you love them. And we pray that they can experience that love. There are so many people that do not know the love of Christ, the love of God, and we pray this morning that you move in their lives, that you touch them with your hand of mercy and grace and love. And Lord, we know that that's the only thing that will change our world, that will change our thinking in this world as we think about so much turmoil and so much hatred that fills this world today. 
Lord, we lift all of the conditions that we experience to you and pray that you would minister to people everywhere, countries everywhere. Lord, bless us. Draw us closer to you. Draw us close to you that we can experience what you plan for us. Lord, we have turned down so much and now we suffer from it. Bless us and be with us. Be with this church. Be with the church universal this morning as it is gathered. Bless us and use us in this world, in the world where we are. Be with us this day. Be with us now during this worship service. And may we truly worship you and call upon your name for your grace and glory. All of these things we ask in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to ask Noah if he will to... Well, no, we need to read the Psalter first. And that is found on page 798. Sorry about that, Noah. CPR after church this morning. Okay. Yeah, you heard that. Uh, Stacy wants to meet with the PPR this morning after church. I cry aloud to God, aloud that God may hear me. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. Your way, O oh God, is holy. You are the God who works wonders. You manifested your might among the peoples. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deeps trembled. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings illuminated the world. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Your yet footprints were unseen.
Bountiful God, your love bears the fruit of hope and grace. Your ways lead to the fullness of life. May today's offering bear fruit in our world that you love, your love may cause old hatreds to cease, old wounds heal, and old divisions mend. Amen. You may be seated. Fred is going to come now and to share with us the New Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson. The New Testament lesson, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is from the New International Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And now the gospel lesson uh, from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And this is also the New International Version. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
in all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denali and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Fred. It shows you when you get on up in age, you forget what to do and how to do. I just call your attention quickly, and I hate to do that following the gospel lesson this morning, but nevertheless, uh, remember the informational meeting on July 24th here. There's a picnic and movie on July 30th. And also want to remind you, uh, we announced this in Sunday school, a thank you fellowship meal will be on July 31st after the service sponsored by Ann Sugg. So remember these announcements this morning. For my message text this morning, I want to share with you Amos Chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up again the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, 
Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from the land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sins and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We often hear the comment, he is a man of God. The images that often come to us is some great reverend or some great teacher or preacher of the gospel or some person that has been special in our own lives that has had a big influence on our life, throughout our life. And as we think about this morning, there are many people in the Bible that come to mind. You can start in the Old Testament and come all the way down through the New Testament and you will find those people that have had tremendous influences on world society, on individual people, on people as a whole. And Amos certainly was one of those people that had a big influence on the people of his time not only of his time, but he also continues to have an influence on people in the time that we live. Throughout centuries, people have heard, the nations have heard. Amos was not a learned person. He was not an educated person. He was simply a layperson who God called, whose life was being obedient to God and God using him in his life. He was simply a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fig trees. Amos was not the son of a prophet, so he didn't have the advantage of having known about all of the things that people were able to learn. However, he was a God-fearing individual and God had a need for Amos. He was simply a humble servant providing service to God. God gave Amos a vision of the future and he told him to take his message, to take his message to Israel, the northern kingdom. Amos obeyed God and he proved that he was certainly a man of God as he did that. 
And we wonder if Amos had any doubts or reservations about what God was asking, asking him to do. I can tell you, yes, he had doubts, he had reservations, but he knew that he was in the palm of God's hand and that God would provide for him whatever he needed, whatever God asked him to do, that God was going to be with him. The book of Amos opens with this humble shepherd tending the sheep. Then God unexpectedly comes into the life of Amos and gives him a vision about what is going to happen. What is going to happen to the nations around Israel. God is going to condemn all those nations because they have sinned against him. They have harmed his people his chosen people. And Amos's homeland also is included in this list. I'm sure that Amos's leaders or those leaders around were happy about that. God is going to do something terrible to those people. God's judgment is going to come upon them. And then he turns to his own people, Israel his own people, his people here at Lovejoy and said, it's for you too. My vengeance is going to come upon you too because you have been disobedient. You have harmed my people. Yes, he turns to Israel and pronounces God's judgment on them as well. God is going to judge them because they have ignored the law that he has given to his people in the Old Testament as Moses took those laws from God. They were on tablets of stone and all the other laws that God gave him. They had been disobedient. They had ignored what God had asked them to do. And his judgment now is going to come upon them. The nations, other nations were certainly ignorant of how they were supposed to live. But God's people knew he had told them, he had coached them, he had given those people the laws down through the years. And yes, he was going to punish his people, the people of Israel. He condemned the people for five different sins, specific sins. Listen and see if you hear any resemblance in our world today. They were selling the poor as slaves. They were exploiting the poor. They were engaging in sexual perverse sins. They were taking illegal collateral for loans and they were worshiping false gods. Preaching to the rich people of the land that's who Amos was preaching to. There was no middle class, the rich class and the poor class. That's all there was. The rich always gave their tithes and they gave extra tithes too to make it look like they were devout religious people. They went to places of worship and offered their sacrifices. They seemed to be doing all of the right things. However, they were greedy, they were unjust, and they took advantage of the poor and the helpless. 
They showed no compassion for the people in need. They only had a concern for themselves. Do we see that today? One of the congressmen said this week, how do they expect us to live and raise a family on $174,000 a year? As we look at the scripture today, we see two visions experienced by Amos as God was preparing punishment for his people. The first vision was that the swarms of locusts would devour the vegetation in the land. And then the second vision that Amos saw, God would destroy with fire. But Amos begged God, knowing that Israel was a small, small nation. He begged God, and God relented. But then he said to Angel Amos, I'm going to put a plumb line. I'm going to put a plumb line in their midst. I'm going to put it there. And Israel will be judged by the plumb line. That's a pretty good indicator of a plumb line, isn't it, Jeffrey? When you think of the line that drops down and it tells us that that's a vertical wall. God said, I'm putting a plumb line there that will judge the people of Israel and then they will know what they have done. The plumb line is God's word. That was the plumb line that God put in the midst of the people of Israel. That plumb line is still in our midst today. God's word is here. Cover to cover is a plumb line for our life. What we do with it is our choice. Amos follows the word God has given him to relay to the priest. I'm setting that plumb line there in your midst and I will judge you by it. You've been disobedient. You have followed your own desires and now you will be exiled in a foreign land. It was predicted earlier in the Old Testament that Israel will go into exile because of your disobedience. Time and time again, God warned the people You've lived your life as you choose, and now you will pay the price. The plumb line placed for Israel was the word of God. They knew the word. They knew how to live their lives. But even as they came out of bondage in Egypt, it wasn't long before they set up idols to worship after God had done so much for them. And I think we have to ask ourselves this morning, am I being obedient to God? Am I following the plumb line that God has for my life? It's in our lives today. You know, we find spiritual in fulfillment in reading scripture. But I want to tell you in, in reading Charles Colson's book, loving God. Colson says, and I quote, 
we find spiritual fulfillment in reading the scriptures, but the Holy Word of God is intended to do much more than that. It is to satisfy the believer's deepest hunger for knowledge about acceptable living and service for his sovereign king. Colson says much, much more about the plumb line, about the word of God, but that's for another time. In the gospel lesson today, we heard the story of the Good Samaritan, and there's not a one of us sitting here that hasn't heard that story more than one time. Many of us, time and time again, we have heard that story. We can't discount the scripture and say that it has possibly been overused. But I have to say also, no. That scripture hasn't been overused. It tells us we have to love our neighbor as ourself. If we're honest with ourselves and God, we have to admit that we find that very difficult to do sometimes. Very difficult to love that person that, that really just rubs us wrong, that turns our feathers upside down like a big whirlwind. We get, we get all upset. Oh, gosh, that person. Oh, my. Yes. God, has, he has pegged us correctly. And he says to the lawyer this morning in this scripture lesson that Fred read for us, this lawyer asked Jesus who his neighbor was. He was having a difficult time being honest with his heart and mind and soul. We know that parable pretty well. And the lawyer told, or Jesus told the lawyer what he needed to do to have eternal life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To paraphrase that, Jesus' answer was, he said, your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with that is in need of help. In other words, we're to show mercy and love to that person. It doesn't matter who that person is. I just need to help that person. And you can drive through Troy and times you will see individuals sitting on the street. You know that person needs help. And some of them have asked even people in this congregation, I, I need such and such. I need $5 to get a meal. And we, well, they're going to waste it. They're going to do something with it that they don't need to do. I can't, I won't give it to them. And so we don't. As I studied this week for this message, I found a collection of attitudes in one of my study Bibles, and all of those are visible to us in our everyday life. And there, here they are. To the lawyer, the wounded man was a subject to discuss. To the robbers, the man was someone to use and exploit. To the religious men, 
It was someone to avoid. To the innkeeper, he was a customer to serve and to charge a fee for serving that individual. And to the Samaritan, the wounded man, was a human being worth caring for and to love. And I added this one to it myself. To Jesus, all of them and all of us are worth dying for. You know, we can always find a reason to not help a person that may be in need. We don't normally have any difficulty coming up with a reason, do we? Whatever it is, no. I don't have anything right now in my pocket. I can't help you. I can't, I just can't do anything for you today. Maybe some other time. Most of the time, our reason is not legitimate, is it? The reason the priest and the Levite gave, it would cause them some inconvenience. In, and in the case of the Jew, Jews, they had a deep hatred for the Samaritans. Yet the Samaritan went out of his way to help. Was it a Jew? I don't know. I don't know what the person was. But he was an individual that was loved by God and that Samaritan helped that individual. Took care of his wounds, carried him into town and put him up in an inn and told the innkeeper, if this is not enough, I will pay you more when I pass back through in a short time. Yes, that Samaritan could have left that person by the roadside to die or, or whatever. But he had goodness. He had goodness in his heart. And I have to think that Jesus was in his heart as well. I think he was a obedient to Jesus. The Samaritan was the individual that was a neighbor. Who is my neighbor? How about your neighbor? When I was growing up, we tended to think that a neighbor was someone that close by. I grew up in the country, and there wasn't many neighbors very close by. But as we reflect on this scripture this morning, we find that our neighbor is someone that we come in contact with. It could very well be the person traveling the Jericho Road and was beaten and robbed and left there to probably die. But the Samaritan came along and, and took care of him, met his needs. It matters not to God what the needs of someone is God said in the laws, love your neighbor. I was sitting in the living room Friday night, continuing to work on this message today, and as the news on ABC was closing out, the anchor said something that, that caught my ear, even though it was in the other room. He said, we have a human interest story tonight that tells of an individual whose car broke down. He was some 33 and a half miles from his work. 
and no one would stop and pick him up or he had no way to get on to work. And the individual said, I had to get to work. I love my job, but I need the job. I need my job. And so another man heard about the story. He called the gentleman up after he had gotten to work. And he said, I want to help you. And I'm sure the individual was overwhelmed when he told him what he was going to do. He said, I've got a four-door Honda car I'm going to give you. He gave him the car. He gave him a way to work. And he said, there's no charge. He simply gave it to him. Because the man needed help and that individual that provided the car was in a position to help. That certainly was being a neighbor to someone in need, wasn't it? When we think of helping someone, we don't normally think of giving that kind of extravagant help. Many times we think doing little things for someone that would be considered help. I came across a, a little humorous ditty this week. This week, Dan Rather, the renowned news anchor for CBS News that, that followed Walter Cronkite, was making a trip from New York to Florida. He flew in late into Florida and he got there and bedded down and didn't get too much rest during the late hours of the night. And he got up the next morning, got dressed, hurried on to the elevator to go down. He was to address several thousand people. And the story is that the elevator was full, rather wasn't in the very best mood that an individual could be in having got in late and, and uh, found himself into a, uh, in a crowded elevator. And as they made their way down, the elevator stopped, the door opened, and everyone piled out, just rushed out, all except one lady, and rather thought, oh my goodness, what does she want now? With the mood he was in, she simply stepped up beside him and put her arm, hand on his arm and said, Mr. Rather, don't want to bother you, but I just wanted to let you know that your fly is unzipped and part of your shirt tail is sticking out. <laughs> Can you imagine? And she simply walked out the door of the elevator and said nothing else. Folks, that's being a neighbor. <laughs> that's being a neighbor, a neighbor without expecting anything in return. I would have been grateful, and I'm sure Dan Rather was grateful 
for that gesture, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, maybe our question today is, how can I be a good neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a good neighbor? <coughs> we must not exclude our love from anyone because of whatever reason we think they don't deserve love. Jesus didn't establish a boundary when he said to us, I'm not going to love those people over there. They aren't deserving of my love. I'm going to love everyone. God's love is boundless. It has no boundaries. And that means that he loves everyone, as I said not only is God's love boundless, but folks, it's endless. God's love is endless. You can never find a place in the world where you can escape God's love. It's there. I think of the turmoil and the hurt and the anger that is created on a weekly basis by someone that goes on a killing spree. We didn't expect to sit here in this sanctuary last Sunday and then here on Monday that seven people were killed and how many were injured because of someone that had, they had to have hate in their heart. Yet God does not remove his love from those people. Our prisons are full of people that deserve to be there. There's probably some that don't deserve to be there. But you know, God loves them just like he does every one of us sitting in this sanctuary this morning. They're his children. Many have done the unthinkable things, even with the horrendous acts that you would think would cause love to be withdrawn. Again, God's love is boundless and it is endless. He continues to give his children opportunities to love, to love people. If God's love is taken from us, we're the ones that do it. We're the terminators. If God's love is not in our life, I'm the one that has terminated it, not God. He continues to love, even though we may not be deserving. And I'll close with this two verses of Scripture from Romans 8, 38 through 39. It confirms God's love. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you would.
turn with me in your bulletin for the statement of faith and let's share that together. God loves us. God cares for us. God blesses us. God tends to us. We are God's precious fruit and faithful seed. God hears us. God helps us. God trusts us. God tries us. Sometimes we're more faulty seed than precious fruit. But no matter, no matter what, we are God's. Our song of invitation this morning is found on page 430. O Master, let me walk with thee. Receive now the benediction. Go forth in the strength of God's glorious power. Go forth in the hope and peace of Christ. Go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go with God. May the forces of evil become confused on the way to your house. Amen.